Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. Hello, hello. Hi. Here we are. That's Steph, and I'm Amy. And this is Cancer for Breakfast. It is. We're here. It's a new episode. It is. So today is going to be my diagnosis story. The Amisode. Is this going to be the Amisode or the Amiisode? Oh, man. I love a portmanteau. So I'm going to have to really, really workshop this. The Amisode, I feel like, is a more natural. Let's go with that. <laughs> and no rats today, our um, segment where we mm-hmm. cover recent advances in treatments and science. During our diagnosis episodes, we are just doing our stories. Yeah. Um, How's it going, Amy? It's going okay. Um, I don't want to just talk about my hair all day long. But I will talk about it for about 45 seconds right now because chemo grow out from not having hair is something I could talk about for a full hour. I love your hair. My hair has just reached a certain point that I'm really into. And I wanted just to say this in case anyone's listening who is like in the middle of chemo and you're like, what the hell is going on? And when is this ever going to grow back? And Mm -hmm. You know, when your hair is this short, it changes completely like every two or three weeks. And I have now it's been enough months. I mean, my hair is it's curly all of a sudden. It used to be totally. I mean, it had some texture in it, but it was straight Mm -hmm. as anything. You have the hair currently that I feel like mothers of the 80s paid a lot of money to achieve. Yes. I absolutely look like I should be in one of those awkward family photos or whatever with just this like it's curly. It's long. You belong in a Virginia Slims ad. Yes, I absolutely do. And I'm not (laughs) saying that in a self-deprecating way. I'm saying that like it's funny and I think it looks kind of cool in like a wacky way. It looks very cool. But you said something that made me feel really good the other day where you said I look like a young princess Anne. It's true. It's so cute. And maybe we can put that on the Instagram. We'll do a side by side. I mean, she's like seven, but she has this kind of like little kid curly. Yeah, it's real cute. I meant it as a compliment and I'm glad that you received nope. it that way. Okay. No, I took it as one. Oh, I did. I did. But like two weeks ago, I was positive that I looked like um, like a 13 year old boy that asks you to the dance that you like don't actually want to go to the dance with but like no thanks Jeremy you know he knows nobody's asked you and you know you'd be a dick if you said no but you know like oh fine I'll go to the dance with Chester you know and but it's like two weeks went by and I wasn't that guy anymore suddenly I'm a young princess Anne so that's right so if you're feeling weird about your hair it's gonna change 
before you even have enough time to like feel weird about it for two weeks. So I'm really into pixie cuts too. And Amy, you and I had talked about this, how whenever we see somebody with a pixie cut, we're like, Hey, <laughs> you try to make, yeah. the, make the cancer eyes at them. Like, mm-hmm, <laughs> is that you? Oh my God. It's so true. Yeah. The other day there was this woman on the playground. Her hair was so short that the only way she could have had that haircut is if she would have seriously shaved her head yeah. and let it grow a little bit and but which she very well might have done you know yeah but I seriously I just kind of was looking at her and I'm like I don't think I look cancery enough right now for her to like give me the like (laughs) hey we're both driving a VW wave you know (laughs) but I kind of was just like looking and you know did you just shout to Josie Josie mama has to go to her oncologist appointment let's go I did Josie (laughs) um no I just smiled at the woman and went Mm -hmm. on my merry way because Jesus can you imagine if you just were like you know what it's a pandemic I'm sick of my hair I'm shaving my head and you had like a Britney moment and then everybody the grocery store is just like pardon me ma'am you have cancer too (laughs) you're like no not yet um shoot shoot you guys amy would you like to tell me all about your diagnosis with breast cancer yes 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 you guys guys. (laughs) um i was just telling Steph. i was trying to decide if i wanted to be like a really good storyteller who like weaves you along and then lets things unravel with a few surprises because my diagnosis story does have some surprises. And for those um, cancer people listening, you know that surprises are usually not And no surprises. (laughs) I wanted to give some spoilers at the beginning because I don't want to like have it feel like trauma or like scary as I'm like, actually, it wasn't stage one, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. Um, so these are fine spoilers to tell. I'll just kind of like give you a synopsis of my actual diagnosis. So when we get going, it won't be whatever. And the end result of this story is I am technically no evidence of disease as far as we know. I got through the treatment and yes, it sucked. But if you're newly diagnosed and your stitch is similar to mine, this will probably kind of like be maybe your course of treatment. I don't know. Yeah. So my diagnosis, I was stage 2B, estrogen positive, HER2 negative, invasive ductal carcinoma, grade 3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Am I leaving anything out? I don't think so. Just keep in mind, I, I did it all. You could do it all, too. So picture it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take me there. Um. This would be a really good time to grab a gin and tonic, you guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I am one of those people who had a baby, quote unquote, later in life, meaning late 30s, was my first child. This apparently is also a risk factor on top of whatever else I've done in the world. Um, And so... I'm a little bit fascinated with other women who get diagnosed when they're breastfeeding or like after they had a baby or even in pregnancy because it's interesting to me because so many women are having children later in life than they were 
20 or 30 years ago, right? So this, right. these instances are actually going up and I don't know if they're, I assume they're less studied because they're happening so much more frequently all of the sudden. So, well, you know what? Here's one thing that I wonder is, um, I know for me, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but thanks a lot, crappy United States healthcare system. I didn't have quality medical care until I got pregnant. So I would have put off Mm -hmm. any sort of weird lumps and bumps anyway, but there was really nobody checking me out until I got pregnant with my first child. And so I bet that's probably the case with a lot of women, especially if you're under 40, right? Yeah. It's, there's no huge concern for that because it is rare. Like one in eight women are going to get breast cancer. That's a psycho statistic, but under 40, that number is very different than one in eight, you know, like it usually happens to you yeah, in your lifetime. Right. So, but it, it is, it's happening all the time and, and it's happening a lot more frequently to older moms. Um, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, had like the best pregnancy. It was wonderful. I had this like wonderful, wonderful baby who was so easy. Mm. And, you know, I felt actually really guilty at, about what an easy time I was having as a new mom. Cause of course you yeah. hear all of these things. And, you know, like I, my version of postpartum depression was like absolutely out of whack emotions but they were all like so happy that I would like cry uncontrollably like four or five times a week just in the middle of the day thinking of how like I can't believe that this is happening like I can't believe that we're gonna just do this you know (laughs) and she was like a great sleeper and just like exactly what you would never ever actually get but like we got it somehow And so I was just having this like blissful time and I found a lump in my breast and I went to my six week after birth, after labor appointment or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. just to get my checkup. And so I showed my doctor that I had like this lump and it's kind of weird because I remember being really worried about it leading up to that appointment and I'm I don't remember finding it and I don't remember how long I was nervous about it like it could have been the week before it could have been two weeks before um but my doctor was like yeah that's just a breastfeeding lump I'm not concerned at all and I was like really Mm -hmm. and she was like yeah and I do remember and this will haunt me I remember thinking that was really fast. Like she felt that lump so fast and then just said, oh, that's just breastfeeding changes. And I, I remember sort of feeling like I should grab her hand again and be like, but this, like that's what you're feeling. Feel it. But I was so happy to hear the answer I wanted that I was like, okay, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Great. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like tie it up in a bow, like put it wherever the bows go, you know? And so I just didn't think about it again. And you know, when you're breastfeeding, your boobs are weird and yeah, they are. I didn't like feeling them a bunch. Cause like 
I don't want to stimulate milk to come out if I'm rubbing my boobs, you know, like, yeah. So I kind of didn't really mess with it. Well, also, you had gotten the answer you want. So you don't need to keep feeling because, yeah, yeah, it's going to go away and who cares? And there's other weird little lumpy things that go away. But honestly, in me, I didn't really actually have a lot of that stuff. So that should have been a warning, too. But um, so, so much time went by. And fast forward like 13 months. Yeah. <laughs> which when I told um, the first support group I ever went to, which is like a smaller group with like older women yeah. and younger women mixed and stuff. And when I got to the part where 13 months went by, everyone just gasped. And oh, I was like, no. oh, Jesus, if I'm making a whole room of like breast cancer patients gasps, then, you know, that's fucked. that's not but on you, though. That's it's not. not on you. And there's something to say about that that I want people to keep in mind that early catch it early doesn't mean catch it two weeks after you feel the lump and get yeah. it out yep. of you or whatever. It means catch it before it's spread. Yeah. If you can. And if you can, if you can. So, of course, if I had been feeling that lump for that whole 13 months and just waited, don't do that. But if you have something that you did notice and then you forgot about and then you feel it, don't freak out and assume because, as my doctor put it, she's like, you could have had breast cancer for six years yeah that is so slow growing yep and as long as it hasn't metastasized it's still early right like that's what we mean and clearly time matters so (laughs) try and figure it out you know but so don't freak out like i had a friend who had a crazy mark on his toe for like two years and then finally went and found out it was melanoma and no he was during this diagnosis time which is like hell on earth waiting to see if it had spread because you know that's the kind of skin cancer that you do not want to have he's just beating himself up because he looked at it for two years and he's like two years but it hadn't spread and he was okay and like Yes, two years might be too long for somebody and it might not be. But anyway, you get my point. Yeah, don't beat yourself up. There are so many barriers to healthcare, to high quality healthcare in this country. So if you're American and you put off checking out a mole or a lump or something because you don't have the money for a copay or because your insurance doesn't cover it or you haven't met your deductible or you don't have insurance at all, like, you know what? Just do what you can. Do what you can. It's not your yeah. fault. Yeah. Totally. Um, so in my case, I was lucky that it had not spread. But anyway, so to back up a little bit. So I'm breastfeeding my daughter. Yeah. It's like, you know, she's like 15 months old or something. And she bit me, which she's not a biter. Like, I mean, she had bit me before, but maybe like seriously two or three times in 15 months. Yeah. And never too big of a deal but i just remember being on the couch and she bit me and it hurt (laughs) so i was feeling my boob and then my stomach just dropped and i was like there is that goddamn fucking thing clear as day 
Yeah. And I just sort of, I don't know. It was just such an oh fuck moment. And like, this is not normal. Yeah. And I called my doctor, I think maybe the next day and got an appointment to see her nurse practitioner or whatever assistant or partner and got in you know I think I had to wait maybe like four or five days to see her mm-hmm. but I didn't tell my partner Kevin um because I didn't want to worry him yeah. because I knew that like there's no answer and it's probably fine did you tell anybody else did you tell any of your girlfriends I didn't tell anybody oh my gosh no oh, I just well part of it was because I was waiting to tell everybody until it was okay yeah and then I could be like, oh, my God, the craziest thing happened, you guys. So, like, I was thinking this and then I felt it and then I saw my dog and, you know. Yeah. And then everything was OK. Like, that was the point that I was holding off for. Yep. But also, I didn't want a bunch of people texting me if it wasn't OK. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And me having to talk to them during that period of time that just to me sounded like that would be so devastating that I don't think I could talk to anybody at that moment. Yeah. Is how I saw it. Um I'll fast forward a little bit here. So the the doctor's nurse practitioner woman was like, you know, yeah, it feels like I definitely feel something there, but I'm not too concerned about it. But you know what? Let's just get you an ultrasound. Like you're breastfeeding. Let's not do a mammogram. Let's just do an ultrasound. It's less invasive. It's less dangerous for breastfeeding people. Yeah. But I'm guessing it's just a cyst and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And then I had to wait like a week to go get the ultrasound. So it just, everything takes forever and it sucks so bad. It's just criminal. I, I, <laughs> it's so criminal. I hate those waiting periods between appointments. It's just, oh my God. No, it's awful. Like, I always talk about how awful it is to wait for test results, but waiting to even get the test is like a whole separate awful, you know, it's just, yeah, yes. And so many things as cancer research progresses, can they just like figure out this timing thing? Like just figure it out. You guys, that would be great. Give us the future. (laughs) That crystal ball technology really needs to happen ASAP. Who is funding that? (laughs) Let's have a fundraiser for that. Seriously. (laughs) A GoFundMe. Yes, please. For that. So I go to get the ultrasound. Again, I still haven't told Kevin. I haven't told anybody. (laughs) And then I go in there and like, I do just remember sitting in the waiting room of the breast center, which is like on the ground floor of my hospital. And it's very peaceful in there. And I remember I was like wearing one of those like kind of Levi's jean jackets with the Sherpa yeah things and I felt really like cozy and I just remember like looking at my hands and my hands just looked like a woman's hands like in a weird way or like they just like looked like they looked like my hands but I just remember looking at them and being like god I feel like I'm watching another person and I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna look back on this moment and I'm gonna remember it for some reason yeah it's just I don't know. It's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't think it's weird. I think that there are like defining moments in our lives and 
Yeah. It's not always the time, especially when you're dealing with cancer. It's not like the moment that the doctor says you have, you know, it's not like a commercial, but it is. It's those weird moments where you're like, totally. The last time I'm going to look at my hands and (laughs) (laughs) And be a normal person. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because like this, this clinic, it's so wonderful. Like they, it's like, they take you back into the room and the woman's like, would you like a warm robe? And I was like, clearly I would like a warm robe, (laughs) you know, like, no, give me a cold one. Yes. I want a warm robe. Thank you. And so, and then it's like the lights are kind of dim and there might be, I mean, I want to say there's kind of quiet music, but that might just be something I added on. But I think maybe there is. Yeah. It's like, feels like you're like waiting to go get a facial. And, but then I'm like aware as I'm sitting in there, like, oh, they're doing this because people are getting diagnosed with breast cancer and they want to like make it as chill as possible. They're setting the mood for tragedy. Yeah. And bless them for doing it, you know, because like that is actually really nice. And also, can you imagine working in that office where no. all the time you are telling people they have cancer? That's your job. I'm really glad it has dim lighting. I'm really glad that it's calm because those people need to feel calm, too. Yes. They're doing hard, hard stuff. Yes, 100%. Um. Anyway, so I get the ultrasound and they're like, so... I think you should stay here and get a mammogram. And I was like, what? And <laughs> it's just like everything you play out in your head that like, yeah. they're not going to say this, but if they do, it's going to sound just like this. And then sure as shit. Yep. Um, they were like, we have time to do a mammogram right now. And like, it's worth it, even though you're breastfeeding, like there's enough cause for needing to investigate further. Yeah. Um. So I like, get the mammogram i'm texting kevin and i'm like i need to stay here a little bit longer i just told him i was going to an appointment yeah. you know i was just like oh, i got an appointment see ya bye you know <laughs> and uh he's like is everything okay and i'm like i'll talk to you when i get home like you know <laughs> like, oh my god what the shit it's not like you can just text him mid appointments and be like turns out i might have breast cancer yeah. i'll fill you in later <laughs> Totally. Um, and you also can't be like, she toned my hair the wrong color. It's yeah. we need to retone and then come home and be like, I lied to you and I have cancer. You know, it's like, yeah. cool. I'm mad about two things. Um, <laughs> so. And then they're like, okay, so it very like, I don't want to like skip through this moment as fastly as I'm trying to right now, but like, yeah. So the doctor comes in and he was so sweet. He was really wonderful. And he was like, you know, I'm, I think that you should stay here and I think we should biopsy this. I think that, um, from my professional opinion, I think it, it looks like, it could very well be breast cancer and we should biopsy it and we could find out for sure. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, so like 
can I get a little bit of wiggle room on this? You yeah, know, like just like, like what are about that? It kind of looks that way, you know? And, you know, I hate to say this, but in a lot of cases, they just know. Like yep. the biopsy is to tell you what kind yep. it is and the tumor markers. But like from the imaging, like... They're not always right, but I knew that they knew, you know, he didn't say, I'm really sorry you have cancer. Right. But he did not sugarcoat anything for me. And he didn't give me a lot of like, you know, sometimes these tests yeah. don't come out this, you know, like he didn't do any of that shit. He was just like, yes, it, it looks very much to me this way. And I was like, so are you telling me that I'm going to get a call on monday that most likely is telling me i have breast cancer and he was like in my opinion you should prepare for that oh so yeah and so i was like what the fuck and so <laughs> and you're there by yourself and, and i'm there by yeah. myself because i didn't think i needed anybody right. you know yeah. like at all and and so so i've been gone for like five hours and yeah. then i got home and was like how I'm going to tell Kevin like yeah I ugh. and so I just told him I just like gave some toys to the kid or something and then just kind of distracted her and yeah and, and then told him and man what a weekend that was oh like, my god just so awful and trying to figure out like when to tell anybody because I had no information. They did tell me it looked as though it was still early. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, we can't tell you what stage it is, but like it, it does appear that it's probably early mm -hmm. and it is looking like it's not in your lymph nodes, but we won't know that until your surgery. Yeah. Um, but it, it looks promising that it might not be there, you know? Mm hmm. So that was like some good information, but still not solid enough to right, right. feel like, you know, jack shit. Yeah. And also because I famously am afraid of Google. Um, I wasn't, I was very much not like, so if the radiation oncologist says this, what, you know, like, or whatever. Oh yeah. Good. Because that is not the time to Google when you have no information. No. That's the time to stay off the internet. Stay off the internet. It doesn't mean my brain wasn't telling me even worse stuff. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole time. But I just remember like trying to figure out like when do I give my family the heads up that this is happening? Like I didn't want to put anybody else into our position where we were waiting for results for days. And yeah. It was just this, it was just so awful. Just waiting. I, I felt so, it just feels unreal. And before that, I had been so lucky in my health and just my like, general luck in life. Mm -hmm. And I look back on the person I was and my yeah. view on my reality and I, cannot believe how privileged I was like I recognize my like naivety mm -hmm. and my sort of 
trust in the world and like trust in like, you know, yeah, that like things end up okay if you kind of have the right attitude about them, like all that stuff. It's like, that's a great way to live. And I'm glad I was able to do that for a while. Yeah. But until I got my ass kicked out of it and looking back, I'm like, Mm -hmm. God, you really, not that you should live your life in fear and think like something shitty just hasn't happened to me yet, but, but there is some kind of woo woo thing that can happen when you have been lucky where you're like, I'm just one of the lucky ones. And like, this test is going to be fine because I'm me. And then you're like. You're a freaking body. You're well, yeah. a, you're a scientific body. Anything can happen to you, dude. You know. I think that when you haven't been confronted with a major illness in yourself or in anybody really close to you, um you just it just doesn't occur to you, you know? Yeah. And I you don't have any family history of breast cancer, do you? I don't. Um do you have any did you have any cancer in your family at all? I have cancer in my family, but it is actually not genetically related to my diagnosis or my risk. Mm-hmm. So that is good. Um, but I don't know. It's just kind of crazy to suddenly be like, wait, me? But I'm but I'm a person that doesn't have breast cancer. What do you mean I yeah. have breast cancer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, that's kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. But I give to the GoFundMe. I don't have it for me. (laughs) It's not me. So anyway, then actually our mutual friend, Chelsea, who's the one who introduced um, Steph and I. Yes. She's, you know, one of our most cherished friends and we didn't know each other. I mean, Steph and I live in different states Um, and she put us together. yeah, Chelsea has been my best friend for 20 years and um and she's Amy's dear dear friend too. Chelsea is a bringer together of mm-hmm. rad women. Yeah, she's one of my best friends, absolutely. She's queen. Um but she came over to my house. She, she knew what was going on. Um Yeah, so I guess I did tell people right before I actually knew what was going on. That's kind of weird to think back of like when you do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, I had told Chelsea. So she came over with her daughter and her daughter was like playing with Josie and Chelsea was like helping me clean because I had to clean my guest room so that like one of my parents could come stay with us. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, I- I- I'm going to be doing chemo in 24 hours or like I'm going to be like in yeah. the hospital dying yep. in-, in three yeah. days. Like because you like don't know how cancer treatment works but you like, yep. have to prepare for anything and also i was like i want a clean house if i die next week yeah um and so chelsea came over and she was helping me get my guest room in order and then my phone rang and i was like it's them and so i grabbed kevin and we went into the basement yeah and she was very sweet and she was just like yes so it is um, invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, I don't think they, I think she said it looks like it's stage one. It wasn't stage one. <laughs> um, it looks like it's stage one. And, you know, it looks like it's not your lymph nodes. 
And God, it's so funny how fuzzy all of this actually is when it's like one of the craziest moments of your life where I'm like, wow, what did she tell me? Yeah. Um, and so, but she was like, you're estrogen positive, which means, and you're um, her two negative. She told me that, mm-hmm. but she didn't necessarily tell me what that meant. Um, but she did say this is a, this is a treatable, like those, com- I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know how much info she gave me, but she did kind of tell me that it was early. I think anybody who has been diagnosed can totally relate to this mm-hmm. fuzziness because there's yeah. just, it's like you're wearing earmuffs kind oh of. It's God. just like, what? It's, yeah. Everything is being filtered through this. What the fuck? Like bubble around your head. Your head is just going, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the yeah. fuck? If someone's like estrogen positive for two negative, you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I just remember like, the next few days were really crazy. I know I had to wait before I could go meet with my oncologist and get the full breakdown of like what the F all of these things meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked in like the my chart test result thing for like two seconds and closed it because I was like, yeah. I cannot do this. And I wouldn't send it to Kevin because I knew he would Google everything. I was like, you aren't allowed to look at what <laughs> things mean. <laughs> you know, and um, but I do remember I saw that it was like estrogen receptive breast cancer 100 percent. And then it was like progesterone receptive I don't remember how much my progesterone was. But I it was have like 100% cancer. 27% was the progesterone. But yeah, I was like, 100%. I was just like, do you think that in my head, because I don't tell anybody any of this stuff, I was like, do you think that my estrogen is supposed to be 23% and it's 100? You know, I can't Google it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just God. So yeah, closed the window, didn't look, waited to go talk to my oncologist. But I do want to say when you go through something like this, it's really interesting to see how you react to it and the ways that you surprise yourself Mm -hmm. where I thought if something like this ever happened to me, I would want to be really private about it. Like the fact that I didn't tell people I have a lump was because like, if it is something, I'm not going to want to tell anyone right now. Yeah. And when I knew it was happening, I called like... I made a lot of phone calls. I didn't want people to find out on the internet. I didn't yeah. want to tell the internet right away either. And I wanted people to know that, you know, I wanted my family to know. Yeah. And I wanted my best friends to know, yeah. you know, and my closest friends. And so I called probably like 15 people or something over the course of two or three days. Yeah. And kind of was just like, hey, this is a good time to talk. I just like wanted to tell you something kind of going on with me right now. And, you know, I don't want you to worry. (laughs) Yeah. But what's weird about it is I would never imagine I would have wanted to put myself through actually being the person to talk to each of those people. I would have imagined myself wanting like Kevin to send an email to people or to call my family for me or just something. Yeah. And I look back to um, this uh, really good 
a family friend of ours or, or like the whole family mm-hmm. was good friends with our family all, you know, like growing up. And this really terrible thing happened when we were very little. I was probably like three, but the five-year-old daughter died. Oh. Um, I know it was like a gun accident with the brother. Oh, they that didn't know it was loaded. It was absolutely tragic. Yeah. Um, this is like in the early 80s. But I remember even as a three-year-old, the mother calling our house and talking to my mom in the kitchen and my mom's just Mm -hmm. on the phone. And I just remember my mom starting to cry. And I was like, why is, you know, like seeing your mom cry? You're like, what? Yeah. And then they hung up and they explained to us that what had happened. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I remember that obviously for a variety of reasons, you know, it's like death and it's like a friend of yours. It's all of these things. Yeah. But I've actually thought about that moment so many times in my adult life because I think of technology and how it's changed how we have to communicate with people. And I've thought mm-hmm. about this poor mother having to call yeah. all of her best friends and her family and repeat yes. these awful words. Yeah. And I've thought, Jesus, this is terrible. Like, you know, like at least now we have social media and at least now we can just like do one fell swoop and we don't have to relive it all but for me calling each one of these people was therapeutic Mm -hmm. like to say it out loud this unthinkable thing that was happening to me that I was so scared about to someone that loves me and that also I want to know I want them to know this information Mm -hmm. but each call felt like something I could be doing, Mm -hmm. you know, with all of this terrible stuff in my brain. It's like a way to make myself even understand it more by just hearing myself talk about the phone call I got or the, you know, like whatever. Yeah. So it was just really, I guess it was a surprising moment for myself to find out that, to understand that. And I don't know if for that that friend of ours for the mom if it was the same way maybe it was terrible to have to relive it i'm not trying to speak for her i don't know but for me i was like maybe that helps her to realize yeah jesus i do wonder too about um how the people we surround ourselves with kind of work together as a puzzle for the things we need in our life and i know for me my best friends are so different in the way that they approach difficulty. And um, it was also really therapeutic for me to tell my people. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that probably is true for a lot of us that mm-hmm. when you call to tell somebody, it's not just, um, you know, to relay the information that they need, but it's also to get what they offer in your life yeah, in general. Completely. God, I just remember like going to the hospital and like pressing floor 11 to the cancer floor and walking in those doors, the elevator just opens and you're suddenly in the waiting room. And I went in line to check in with reception and they're like, what's your name? And I told them and then I was like, (laughs) and they're just like starting crying at reception because it's just like, there are all these moments where you're like, I'm yeah. a fucking cancer patient. Like, um, and, I <laughs> yeah. did. and they were, of course, so sweet, but I was just like, here's my insurance card. Yeah. Um, and so they were very nice. And then I met 
my oncologist, who is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then they called me back and the nurse was like, you're going to feel so much better once you talk to her. She's a great doctor. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. that's the noise I made. To the nurse. <laughs> she was like, wow, um, cancer is not your only problem. Um, so then... <laughs> she comes in and she was so nice and Kevin was with me and she was like, listen, it's looking like you're stage one. This is great. This is really good. And I was like, I am, you know, um, <laughs> and she's like, I'm thinking you're not going to need chemo. I'm thinking you probably won't need a mastectomy. I'm thinking you're going to be able just to get a lumpectomy surgery and then we're going to do radiation after that but we won't know for sure about all of these things until we do some more tests you know we have to test yeah. your genetics to see if you have these like BRCA genes and we have to see if you have any of these other sort of like risks or whatever mm-hmm. yeah first thing is we're gonna like have you go see a surgeon and he's gonna figure out if lumpectomy is gonna work for you but it should because your tumor looks like it's about 18 millimeters so mm-hmm. the tumor is now still small but that's, you know, like the tip of your pinky. It's like, what, a little less than two centimeters? Yeah. Yeah. That's small. That's tiny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just sort of like you just kind of keep waiting. And, and I was like, how long is this going to take for all of my treatment to be done? You know? And she was like, yeah, I really can't. Yeah, that's not how it works. Give you an estimate. And I was like, I know. I mean, I'm not asking you for like <laughs> six months, but like, you know, like six to nine months like nine to 12 months you know yeah and she was like i just can't she like wouldn't say i gave her all these options just being like six months to a year and a half you know she's just like (laughs) honestly it's different for everybody and of course like that's such a diplomatic response and i get why you say it because it is different for everybody but like just give me an average lady yeah (laughs) um but i'm sure part of that is like who knows? God. Um, and so, and for me, the whole thing was about eight months or so of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two surgeries. I had to wait about a month for my first surgery. Um, that still is just like waiting to actually find out if it's in your lymph nodes or not, which is like, Jesus, I didn't know for a whole month. I'm sure that you were you were reassured the same way that I was because I had to wait quite a while too before I started treatment and um, they did tell you and if you're in the similar situation people listening um, where you know you're having to wait and thinking I'm sure as I was thinking and probably Amy as you were thinking too like great it's just growing my body is slowly becoming riddled with cancer mm-hmm. how could you make me wait a month um, they they very nicely told me at least like. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) It is fine. Breast cancer doesn't doesn't really spread that fast. And um, we wouldn't do anything to endanger you. They have studied this so much to know the safe amount of times. To know, like, from diagnosis, they have different amounts of times between each treatment that are safe. And some of those amounts of time feel so long. But they're part of the safe amount of time to where... If they say it doesn't really look like it's in your lymph nodes and then you wait a month for surgery and it is in your lymph nodes, that's not because you waited a month for surgery and suddenly it was in your lymph nodes. That's just that 
it was too small on the scan to see right. and yeah. they didn't think it was. And then it was, it's not that like, you know, they, yeah, not to diminish how hard it is to wait that long because Ugh. it is really, really it hard. It is hard. But don't yes. feel like you're getting shoved off because they're probably just trying to set the surgery schedule and stuff, you know, doing all the yeah. normal things. They're trying, but they're still awful. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, the day before my surgery, ring, ring, ring goes the telephone. And if you are somebody that doesn't like answering the phone, you, like, wanted to go to voicemail, try getting cancer. Suddenly, you have to oh my answer God. these weird-ass phone numbers all the time. And it sucks so bad. We were like, it's cancer, but I have to answer because it's cancer. <laughs> so, it was cancer. They called and said, hey, Amy, could you just come in today? Uh, we just wanted to do another quick mammogram before your surgery on Monday or whatever. It was just like Friday. Yeah. On Monday or, you know, and I was like, yeah, like you need another mammogram, like just for more angles or what? And she's like, yeah, yeah. You know, if you can come in like in an hour. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay, I guess so. Dun, dun, dun. So I didn't worry about it again. I don't take Kevin. I don't need support. I'm just going to like go squish my boobs in a machine like whatever who cares and so i do and then the damn dude comes in the room again he wants to talk to me this is that moment you get taken you hear my dog barking <laughs> damn it. you know it's like my dog always has to like steal my big moments it's like i was just about to do like a really big reveal it was rough, rough, rough. <laughs> and the you. radiologist was a dog. It was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and then the whole thing turned into a cartoon and I didn't really have cancer. The end. Um, so, or no, they actually had me get dressed and then go into the little room that you like see in movies where like oh, they know where you see the bad where, like, news they guy. They talk to you about cancer. <laughs> yeah. So like the bad news guys come in and I was like, what the shit is happening? happening like are you kidding me um so he was like i am the doctor this was his voice <laughs> i'm the doctor who's <laughs> who's doing your um they insert these wires before surgery using an ultrasound so that the surgeon mm -hmm. knows to follow the wires in to get to both sides of your tumor and get it all, you know, but they like use these wires as a guide. So they like, you have a, this radiation doctor mm -hmm. guide the wires in with ultrasound, um, using like needles before your surgery. So he's like, I'm your wire guy. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, and, um, <laughs> and he's like, I was reviewing your scans and your mammogram from whenever you did these. And, I noticed there was like some calcification behind your tumor that I could barely see. And I just wanted to like get it a different angle because it could be um, basically more cancer. Uh huh. And I was like, oh, no. okay. And, um, and he's like, and I did find that it might not be like full-on breast cancer it might be very early there's this thing that we later find out it's called dcis which mm -hmm. is like it's basically like stage zero cancer but it's how a lot of breast cancer starts or maybe all of it yeah. i don't really know 
but it's way, way, way less serious than actual breast cancer. And, but, um, he was like, yeah, there is another tumor next to the cancerous tumor that's DCI or he didn't know if it was DCIS. He was like, it wasn't spoiler alert. It was DCIS, (laughs) but, um, he was like, it could be more of this. And, you know, and I was like, well, how big is it? And he's like, it looks like it's four and a half centimeters. No! And I was like, how did you freaks miss this? Like, yeah. what? And I mean, that's like as long as you're pinky, you know? And and then I was like, does this mean I'm not stage one and I'm stage two? And he was like, it's likely that's what it means, but we won't know. You know, and I was like... <laughs> I don't even like you as a person. I know this isn't your fault, but like, what? And so, uh, so then I had to spend the whole weekend. Don't do anything on a Friday, guys. I had to spend the whole weekend waiting. Oh, always. Oh, my God. Going for my stupid surgery. Um, And man, I'll talk someday about getting the wires inserted with this guy. Dude. Um, it doesn't matter. Mm-mm. But anyways, so long story short, I get my surgery. It's fine. You can handle surgery. I had a lumpectomy. I didn't have to get a mastectomy. Um, what ended up happening is when they did take the tumor out, they told me after they made me wait a million years, by the way, um, that my actual tumor was five and a half centimeters, not two centimeters, or less than no. two centimeters. Oh man. And the the other thing was DCIS, which was great. I would way rather have it be stage zero. Yeah, yeah. Whatever cancer than more of this bullshit. But but my DCIS was also about five and a half centimeters. Whoa. So suddenly I'm this person with like much larger stuff going on. Yeah. And that threw me for such a loop because it made me question every single thing that every appointment had consisted Mm -hmm. of. Like every reassuring thing my surgeon had told me or my doctor and like appointments leading up to what their treatment recommendations were. I was like, even if they said the same things, they might have used a different tone of voice. Yeah. You know, like to reassure me like now everything i've been reassured i don't it's all just like this wobbly thing in my brain yeah it just makes me feel like i'm like standing on this like wobbly floating dock or something trying not to fall into the lake or something and then yeah you, it's just it's so much strap because down. there's there's so little that you know for an actual fact yeah that you just grasp onto all of these things that you can hyperanalyze to try to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I talked to my doctor, my oncologist, she was like, nothing has changed. Like, yeah, we still could have done a lumpectomy. We, you know, like, it's not like, oh, geez, we should have done a mastectomy. If it, You know, like, it's just like very, you know, we're all OK going forward here. I think that's pretty common too, though, right? You know, I mean, it's hard to wrap your brain around when you're a new cancer person. Yeah. But it seems from my perspective that a lot of it is just their best guess because they don't have like magical vision into your boob 
they they have the machines. Right. Well, also, I was breastfeeding. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. breastfeeding is weird for mammograms and scans. Like your milk ducts are mm-hmm. full and doing things, and it could be squishing my little tumor down and doing all of this different stuff. And yeah, um, and I have dense breasts; they're harder to pick up on on mammography. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't think it's the most common thing in the world to be told that you have a smaller tumor and then to have a larger one. I don't think so, but maybe it is. I don't know, but I just don't want people to be like, this could happen to me. Don't worry. You're fine. You're fine. Um, or maybe you're not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Nathan, edit that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but really, but really, um, so I had to, I did have to have a second surgery, which sucked to have um, clear margins. They were like, not sure. It was real close. Yeah. Um, And so the second surgery actually showed that they had gotten everything the first time. So we would never have known this. But when they checked all the tissue from the second surgery, it was completely clear of any cancer cells. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't need it. But I'm actually super glad I got it because... I would always wonder, you know, yep. if it's mm-hmm. close, I don't, you know, <laughs> so then I had to wait, um, to find out, actually, I think I knew by then that I needed chemo. I think I knew I needed chemo after my first surgery and they scanned my tumors and all of that stuff. Was that based on your Oncotype DX score? I was like in this weird category where I had been told I probably wouldn't need chemo from the beginning. Everybody said they never didn't say you won't. They said it really looks like you won't need chemo, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it yeah. looks pretty good for that. And so I thought I would just have surgery and radiation. And I was kind of thinking that was going to be my road. But because my tumor size was above X amount of centimeters, and I don't know what the amount is, if it's four centimeters or if it's five centimeters or, or what. But once it gets into this particular size range that mine was, even if your oncotype score is low enough to not need chemo, your tumor size can put you into this category where there's these studies recently that are saying, hey, there actually is a benefit for these particular women to do chemo. It does help them. Which is great. Yeah, I'm glad we, I I am so glad that I did chemo. I don't regret it at all. But the oncotype test, it tells you, it tests your tumor. It tells science is insane. Mm-hmm. It tells the likelihood that your tumor might, um, how aggressive it is, or like the likelihood that there's maybe stray cells in your body or in your breast that are going to come back as yeah. recurrence, whether it's in your breast or distant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like these weird numbers that mean different things based on your age. And for my specific age if my score was under a 20 it would mean i would not need chemo Mm -hmm. and my oncotype was a 17 and so yeah pretty close it's pretty close but it's under 20 and so i saw my surgeon before seeing my oncologist later that day actually and he was like giving me news about my surgery and and he was like did your did your oncologist call you and tell you your oncotype scores in? And I was like, no. And he's like, I really, I would rather like, 
I would rather let her break the news to you. I don't want to steal her thunder, but it's only a 17. And I was like, does that mean no chemo? And he's like, no chemo. And I was like, really? And I like even like wept a little bit because I was just like, there's an end in sight. I don't have to have chemo. I was like, so I just have to do radiation for a month. And then I'm I'm done. He's like, that's what it means. And I was like, oh, my God. And like... I just remember Kevin and I leaving that appointment like, there's an end in sight. And then I like go to floor 11 to see my oncologist like three hours later. And she's like, so about chemo. <laughs> and I was like, what? what? No vaccines. Like, yeah, too bad. But she was like, I really, you know, I think it would benefit you. I think you should strongly consider it. You know, like, here's the study. Here's what's going on. Like. Yes, your oncotype is this, but we can't just base everything on oncotype. And yeah. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) It's just like the thing that you have to come home again and be like, so about chemo. I got some (laughs) news for you guys. (laughs) Oh, criminy. Oh, and what's kind of funny about that, and by kind of funny, like, Obviously, I don't mean that. Is I got the flu that day. <gasps> day? No. I haven't had the flu. Kevin got it too. I haven't had the flu in probably like 17 years. I'm not kidding you. Oh. And yeah, we both got the flu. That's just mean. And so I'm just sitting there imagining going through chemo while I had the flu on the exact same day, feeling all of these things oh. that you can imagine what chemo might feel like and just being like, this is my life. <laughs> this, you know, it, it is kind of funny. That is awful. I want to know, did you, um, your, it was your surgeon that told you that you didn't need chemo? Yeah. Did you like egg his office door or something in retribution? No, no, I... I'm just like so bad at holding medical professionals accountable for things. Like I didn't slam my original doctor for telling me that yeah. it was just breastfeeding. And I have seen her since then and I love her and I know people make mistakes and like I know she knows. Like it says in her notes, like I thought that she barely touched my boob and I yeah. wanted to come back because, you know, like it's like she knows what I think. Yeah. Um, But I have people in my life that are like, I can't believe you didn't say something to her. But same thing with the surgeon. It's just like he didn't he doesn't know about the studies of like whatever, you know, like he knows about oncotype scores and he knows like it should have meant that. And for most people, I'm sure for like 95 percent of people, that's exactly what it means. Yeah. So and he, you know, it's fine. Whatever. What are you going to do? That's very big of you. Mm, I mean, no. I'm, I'm <laughs> mad about 500 other things. That's for a different podcast. Um. <laughs> so anyway, so then I had to wait another month after the second surgery to start chemo. And I did four rounds of this particular chemo called Cytoxin and Taxotere. And for people that are estrogen positive, HER2 negative, early stage breast cancer, this is, I think, pretty much like the most common regime that you might see. Um, But I did, yeah, four of them and they were each three weeks apart. Mm -hmm. If I had had it 
in my nodes. Um, I might have had maybe like six of them yeah. three weeks apart or something. So like, I mean, nothing's going to be exactly the same for everybody. Um, but it was okay. Like it absolutely sucked. But that particular concoction of medication is not the chemo you see in movies where the women are laying on the bathroom floor and throwing up and yeah. having diarrhea everywhere and are 90 pounds. Like it's not that chemo. You lose all your hair. You feel, you know, achy and tired and shitty and, you know, like, and it does suck. And my chemo sucked, but it was tolerable, but it sucked for different reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, my fingernails fell off at the end. You know, it's just yeah. like, hi, I'm a bald woman with no fingernails, but like, I feel yeah. relatively okay. But like, what world is this? <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, so yeah, so I had, you know, two surgeries. I had chemo. I'm sure we'll talk about in more episodes as things come up more details to these particular parts of treatment. But for now, this is just what it was. I did radiation. I think I, I think I had maybe three weeks between chemo and radiation start. And then I did like Mm -hmm. a month every single day other than weekends. I went into the radiation clinic and the appointment is like Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. It's so fast. Like my oncologist told me, she's like, it'll probably take you longer to park in our garage than it will (laughs) to actually go into the hospital and leave. Um, and by the way, I park on the street. It's really much better. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And so I finished radiation um, four and a half months ago, five months ago. So I'm kind of like on my way out of this. I started taking an anti-cancer pill that I have to take for 10 years, tamoxifen. We've talked about this mm-hmm. a little bit, I think, um, that blocks the estrogen. It sucks to take that medication, but I'm actually really lucky that it exists because it helps yeah. to protect me. If there are any stray cells in my body, it's going to not feed them. Right. And then I'm doing these weird menopause shots and I'll do that for five years. And then I'll, if my body wants to not be in menopause anymore at that time, I don't know. I'm like <laughs> at this questionable age where I'm like, maybe I'll just be in menopause by then. <laughs> but they're, you know, it's a reversible shot. so. If I hate it, I can stop taking it in a year or two if if I want to, or if I can make it through, I'll take it for five years and then I'll keep taking this other medicine for 10 years. So it's like I'm done with active treatment, but I'm not done with this other kind of um, hormone treatment stuff that I'm doing, but I'm doing okay on it, you know, like, yeah, not having the worst side effects from anything and a lot of that stuff has terrible side effects for a lot of people, but I'm doing okay with it. So. You did it, and you're I here. It. Um, well, shoot, here we are, folks. A longer episode than normal, but worth it. Yeah, I guess. Some things about cancer you don't like, but you just have to sit through, including this episode. I'm just kidding. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Fine, that is long. Amy, thank you so much for telling us your story. You're welcome. Um, well, thanks for listening to Cancer for Breakfast. If anyone has questions or comments or like to submit a letter you know where to find us yeah um if you feel like rating us on 
Apple Podcasts or leaving us a review, we would appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, we should we tell them? Yes. <gasps> you guys, we have a new Rats theme song. It's so good. It is. It's so fucking good. So good. Yeah. Um. So we'll debut that next episode. Recent advances in treatments and science. Um, and we'll have more letters for you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. I'm Steph. And I'm Amy. Have a great day, night, afternoon, morning. Goodbye. <laughs> Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening thanks for listening